pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 19 to verse 27 today. And we've started to learn and understand the heart of Paul. I love what Paul does here. Because we learn that Paul had the heart of a soul winner. Do you have the heart of a soul winner today? Where you're going out to be able to win souls for Jesus Christ? That that is the ultimate goal in your life, to win souls for Jesus. See, Paul in his life did not feel like he was entitled to anything. He didn't say, because I'm an apostle, I'm entitled, you ought to support me. We established that last week. He didn't feel entitled because he ought to have these special privileges. That because of his experience, his degrees, his education, he did not feel that way in any form. In fact, he said, I'm not entitled I'm entrusted with the gospel. And today God has trusted you with the good news of Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves as we read this scripture, what have we done with Jesus? You see, Paul says, I'm not going to live the selfish life. I'm going to live the selfless life. Where it's about love. Where I'm living my life where it's bigger than just me. There's more purpose There is more meaning than just myself, my pleasure, and what I want. I want to live my life to serve. We've learned and we know that through Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, Paul says that we have been called to liberty. He says, for you brethren have been called to liberty. You're not under bondage. You're not under legalism. You're not under a a religious set of rules and regulations. However, do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. What's the purpose of your liberty? What's the purpose of what you've been entrusted with today? The, 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 the right to vote, the right to, to go out and have a voice, the right to serve people, the education, the experience, the finances, right? Maybe the business, maybe the job, the title, whatever it is that God has given you, the freedom and the liberty And the platform to do is that you would, through love, use that. Through love, use that as a platform to serve one another. You see, our objective is that through love, we should be serving one another. Paul shows us in the most ultimate way here that we must have and be conscious. We must be sensitive of all those that are around us to lead them to Christ And not leave them away. We want to be the best example possible because the gospel is more important. Well, you would say, well, I have my own desires. I have my own pleasures. I have my own goals and aspirations. And I have my two and three and four year plan on down the line where I want to be. But the gospel is more important. Yes, you can have those plans. You can have those aspirations. That's great. But the gospel is more important. What comes first? You see, Paul is saying, I'm going to live to a higher standard. That's the standard of love. You see, I was eating lunch with a co-worker at work this week, and he was telling me, Art, man, you have it a little bit tricky, man. You're a pastor, and you're a Christian, and and people know about that. Does that mean that you have to play by a different set of rules? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm playing by the set of rules of love. Because those are the rules that Paul taught us to play by. I'm not playing by the set of rules of selfishness, of pride and of ego, Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I'm playing by the higher standard. I'm playing by the set of rules of love. It's all about Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. 
That's the attitude, that's the approach that Paul had. He said, I'm bringing people to Jesus. That's more important. That's more important. Why? Because he didn't want to live a life that was self-absorbed. You see, today more than ever, we live in a life that is self-absorbed. What's the number one thing that we like to do? Something special happens. We're at a, at a really special place or event. I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of it myself. What's the number one thing you want to do? You want to go out and take a selfie. <laughs> Let me take a picture of myself, right? We used to take pictures of, of, of monuments, of things. We used to go and admire, maybe whether it was the Grand Canyon, you would take a picture of it, a museum, an artifact, a, a piece of history. You would take a picture of it. Now you're saying, let me take a picture of me, and that can be behind. <laughs> you see, we have a different mentality. It's a more of a self-absorbed culture. And today we want to make sure that we don't live in a self-absorbed way. We're living by the rules and we're playing by the rules of love. Where we're conscious of others around us and we're saying the gospel is more important. The gospel is more important. Love is more important. Them knowing Jesus is more important. That is more important. Yes, we're having a three-year anniversary. But the gospel is more important. Amen. Why? Because we want people to know Jesus. And it says here now in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. For though I am free, I am not here saying a slave. From all men, I am free from every man. I'm not in the bondage of legalism. I'm not in any type of bondage of rules or regulations. Although I am free from all men. This is not now a, a religious institution that I am in bondage to. I have made myself a servant of all that I may win the more. What are you saying? I want to be a servant of all people. Although I don't have to, I choose to do it. Although I don't have to live to please people and serve people, and I'm not here to be able to get the approval of man, I'm using my freedom, or that I am free, I'm using that freedom to maximize my calling. I'm using my freedom to maximize my calling so that I can hear in verse 19 that I might win the more. You know what it really means in verse 19? Though I am free, I make myself a servant of all. That word servant is a very important word because he's saying, that word servant is that I am enslaved to all people. I have a responsibility. I live with the burden. I live with a duty now to reach as many people as possible for the gospel of Jesus. You know what he's saying here? I am living with that responsibility, that duty. I am putting myself in the position of a servant, even though I am free from that, so that I can evangelize and bring many people over to Jesus. Do you live with that type of responsibility where you put yourself in a position where you can serve people? In fact, you see that Paul starts to modify habits. He starts to modify things so that his lifestyle can be at a, an advantage point where he can better serve people and reach them. You know what Paul did? He became smaller so that Jesus can become bigger. And he didn't make his life about him. He's saying, how can I modify my life in this area so that I can reach these people? How can I modify my life and my behavior in this area so I can reach those people? He wasn't trying to modify the gospel. Gospel modification leads to no real salvation. And a lot of times we try to change the gospel, try to make the gospel more relevant. The gospel is as relevant today as it was 2,000 plus years ago. It doesn't need to change. And sometimes we want to make it more attractive to people. It is attractive. 
We were, we were destined to go to hell because of our sin. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And now we have forgiveness of our sins. And we place our trust and faith in Him. That's the pure, unadulterated gospel. And here He's not going to change that. He's never going to compromise His convictions, His obedience. He's never going to compromise His obedience, His convictions for His connections with people. Sometimes we try to do that. Lord, I want to reach those people and I'm going, to, I'm going to compromise in this area so I can reach them. Never compromise when it comes to convictions for connections. Oh, I want to fit in, so I need to do all these things and, and, and compromise when it comes to obedience so that I can connect with those people. It's never about compromising in the things of obedience. But what does he do? He stays obedient and he does with Jesus is he takes Jesus wherever he goes and he makes Jesus as accessible as possible. You know how you make Jesus as accessible as possible when it's not about you and it's about Jesus? When it's all about you, people just taste you and they don't taste now Jesus in you. And all they're tasting is the vessel instead of the fountain and the water and the living water that's coming out of that vessel, which is Jesus. And we have to ask the Lord, Lord, I don't want, when I have an interaction with people, when people see me, I don't want them just to see me. I want them to make Jesus as accessible as possible so that they see Jesus in me and they see Jesus through me. That's what Paul is saying. You see, people should leave with an illustration of who Jesus is, is through you and in you. Why? Paul says it very clearly. I don't want you to only be a participant of the gospel. I want you to also be a winner for the gospel. And sometimes we are only participants of the gospel. I want to be a participant of the gospel. What does the gospel have for me? We're a participant. We've received Jesus Christ in our lives. We're a participant of the gospel. But what about being a winner for the gospel? Where I start to bring other people to, the, to Jesus Christ. And he's going to tell us how he did that. In verse 20 he says... And to the Jews, look what he says, what he does. He starts to now adjust, to adapt. And to the Jews, I became a Jew here, that I may win the Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under here, says the law, that I may win those who are under the law. When he went to the Jewish culture, he said, I know that I don't have to live in this Jewish ceremonies of, of circumcision, of ceremony, doing these purifying uh, ceremonies of purification and all of that. I don't have to do that. But I will do that in order to connect and find a common ground with these people so that I can reach them. He said, I, my purpose is to go to the Jewish community and if I have to be sensitive to their culture and to their traditions, then I'll go and I'll be sensitive to those things so that I can reach them. So to those that are living under the law, I live just like them. They had a purification ceremony. I, I went and I, I did the entire ceremony and I participated. Even though I didn't have to, I did it. And I did it so, so that I can connect with them. I did it so that I can be there and serve them and so that I can make Jesus as accessible as possible. Why? Because I know that those people needed Jesus as well. And if I wanted it, and I needed to adjust my life for their sake, then I was willing to do that. I was willing to do that so that I can bring them to Christ. You see, that's the whole goal. Them, others, to Christ, Jesus. Have we done that? Or is it all about self, me, I? Or is it about them and Christ? It's been said that, that true joy is we put Jesus first... Others second in that acronym, in that order, 
and you last. Jesus, others, and then you. That is true joy. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. He's saying, I'm going to the Jewish community, and in their community, I live just like them, so that I can serve them and make Jesus accessible as possible. How did he do this? By giving everyone an opportunity to see Jesus in him through love. Have you given people that opportunity? So that they can see Jesus in you because of the love that you have. That you don't only say, I'm a Christian, I go to church. You know, all of, uh, you know I, I, I serve at church, I was raised in the church. That they don't only have to hear that, but they see that through your life. And they say, I experienced Jesus through that person. Have you given them that opportunity because of love? You see in verse 21, look what it goes on and it says now. To those that are without the law, maybe to the Gentiles that didn't have this culture. I was without the law. Not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. That I may win those who are without the law. Those that didn't practice the law, that were under these Jewish customs and ceremonies, and all the culture, I, I, I didn't practice it with them. Because I wanted to connect with the Gentiles. And I didn't live under the law. And when he says this, understand, look what he says in verse 21. Not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. What is it saying here? I never lived a life where I completely ignored now my obedience with Christ. I never compromised obedience to connect with them. I lived without the law, but it doesn't mean that I ignored obeying God. You see, this is so important for us to never sacrifice our core convictions and our core obedience in God's word for the sake of connecting with someone else to bring them to Jesus. He's saying when it wasn't about the law, I was careful enough to draw the line and the boundaries so I would never disobey God because I still wanted to connect with him, but I wanted to be right with God so that I can win over others to Jesus. You see, the best representation to other people that they have of Jesus is not only your love, but it's also your obedience to God. When they see that you don't compromise when it comes to gray areas, they're going to see this guy is the real deal and he loves God that much to be willing to live his life that way. You see, that's what really reaches people. Your love and your obedience to God. I love what he keeps saying here in verses 21 and, and, and 22 because he keeps saying, so that I may win those that are under the law and to reach those that are without the law. Proverbs 11 Verse 30, Solomon tells us this. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Those that live a life of righteousness. The fruit of those people, the fruit and the tree of their life is a, here now it says, a tree of life. And the, he who wins souls, he was bringing people to Jesus. He who wins souls is wise. Have we been winning souls for the gospel of Jesus? He who wins souls is wise. Now verse 22, look what he says. Now to the weak. To the weak I became as weak. To those that are now new in the faith. And they, I needed to be sensitive because I didn't want to make them stumble. I shared in their weaknesses. I was considerate that they maybe don't know. Right? To the Jewish people, I, I, I just practiced their Jewish customs and their tradition and their culture. To those that didn't have that culture, I didn't practice it with them. To those that were weak, I, I became just like they were weak. He's saying here, that I may, here says, that I may win the weak. I have become all things. And this is the power line here. I have become all things to all men, here it says, that I might by all means save some. What was he saying here in this verse? To those that are new in the faith, I didn't want to be a stumbling block to them. 
I didn't want to mislead them because maybe God has given me the opportunity to do something. And, and to them, they believe that's sin. So for their sake, I'll abstain from it because I don't want to make them stumble. And I became weak or I identified with their weakness just like they were. Because I never wanted to mislead them or to stumble them. That's what he's saying. But now this line over here where he finishes off this verse uh, in verse 22 where he says, I have become all things to all men that by all means. And if you like taking notes, I want to encourage you to circle that all things, all men and all means. I have become all things to all men that by all means. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that whatever it takes, whatever it takes to save some people, I'm doing everything I can to save some. I will do anything so that I can reach people and bring them to Jesus. I'm willing to become all things. There's nothing that I'm not willing to become. For all men, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not racist. I'm not drawing the line. I'm not saying those people, I won't become that for them. But for them, I will become that for them. I'm not saying I, I, I won't sacrifice for those, but I will sacrifice for these. No, he's saying I will become all things. For all men, that by all means, whatever it takes, I want to save people. You know what he's, I love his personality, his mentality, his approach. Because what he's doing here, he's saying I am ready to do anything short of sin to reach people. Yeah. I mean, talk about him being intentional. I'm ready to do anything and we're willing to do anything short of sin to reach people. Why? Because that's the heartbeat behind the soul winner. Do you have that heartbeat behind what you do in your Christianity where you're saying, I'm willing to do anything, sacrifice anything, become anything, go out the extra mile for that person, for this person, and connect with them, adjust to them, so that by all means, I'll do whatever it takes, anything possible, so that I can reach people. I don't want to do the bare minimum. I want to do whatever it takes to reach them. And he's going to tell us now, in verse 23, now I do this, not for my sake, but for the gospel's sake. That I may be a partaker of it with you. You know what he's doing? This is his purpose. What is his purpose? The gospel's sake. I will spend the effort. I will spend the energy. I will do the sacrifice. Anything it takes here it says in verse 23. Not for my sake. But for the gospel's sake. I will adjust where it is necessary. So that others can know Jesus. Why? Because I want to partake in the gospel and its blessings with you. You see, that verse really should strike home to us. Because Paul here is saying, I will adapt. And I will adapt where I can adapt. And if I can adapt, I will adapt. I will never change the message, but I will adapt my lifestyle. And that was his attitude. I'm willing to adapt for them with their culture so that they can see Jesus in me. You see, this is good striving. We always hear about striving being sometimes selfish or egotistic. But the striving that Paul does is saying, if I can adapt, I will adapt. And I will do it for their sake so they can see Jesus in me. I'm willing to adapt for them. You know how what we want always? We want people to adapt for us. Oh, how come they don't adapt for me? How come they don't love me? How come they don't show me? How come they don't, they, don't, they don't come into my world? They don't come into my culture. They don't connect, try to connect with me. Paul is saying, that, he's not saying that. If I, if I can adapt, I will adapt with them. Right? Because when you're unwilling to adapt, you're saying it's more about me 
then it's about the greater good of the gospel. And sometimes we have that attitude where I, I don't want to adapt to them. That's not my culture. That, that's not the way I was raised. I, I don't want to go and do that. I get you, you want me to serve them and I have to adapt to what they do? Absolutely not. That is one of the most unloving things to do as a Christian. Saying, I am unwilling to adapt to other people. When you see people in the street that maybe don't look like you, that don't talk like you, how about this, that they don't smell like you? Are you willing to adapt so you can reach them to Jesus? Or we only want to reach the people that look like us, that speak the same language as us. You see, we need to learn to adapt so that others see Jesus in us. Because here Paul is saying, I much rather adapt, gladly adapt, than stay comfortable the way I am and never reach one person for Jesus. And think about what he's doing here. He's not wanting to be selfish. The greatest need in our church today, in our churches today as a whole, is that we would have the boldness, that we would have the boldness to be able to say, I am willing to cross some barriers that exist so that I can reach other people for Jesus. And maybe I don't like that. You know, maybe I don't like their culture. But I'm going to cross that, that barrier so I can reach them for Jesus. I am willing to get uncomfortable and out of the box and do all things for all men that by all means I can save some so that they can see Jesus in me. I'm going to step out of the box because in this box it's only about me. You know, you think about going to another country, you want to win people, people for Jesus. Imagine if you went to another country and they told you, and, and, and it's happened to me where they tell you you have to sit on the floor and we're going to eat with our hands. What are you going to say? No, you know, I'm not going to sit on the floor. But I came to talk about Jesus' love. <laughs> I'm not going to eat. You're crazy. You want me to eat that with my hands? You're absolutely nuts. Let me go to my back and get my snacks. But I'm going to, after I do that, I'm going to show you about the love of God. How are you connecting with people like that? How are you connecting with them? There was a story about back in the day where people were taking trips, missions trips, for the very first time through an airplane, before ever, all those missions trips started overseas, where the little jet airplanes where people would five, six, people would fit in those airplanes, little ones with the propellers, and they would barely go out to these very primitive places, so a small group went out. And in this airplane, it speaks about, and the story says that, a true story in where this airplane, they had an, they, they went, they had an accident. And the, the airplane completely crashed and pieces of airplane were all over the place of the aircraft. And, and they were in a very primitive jungle where you couldn't find reception. Everyone died in that, that trip except one man. And this man that didn't die, he was so injured he had even brain now damage. Where he could not talk. And he was being almost death. And he was in the jungle and no one was there. There was no phone. He could have been left there to die. But the natives of that place found him before he died. And the natives of that place found him and they started to take care of him and started to bandage his wounds. And he never was able to speak because of the brain damage and, and it was horrific now the state that he was in. And they started to take care of him, bandage his wounds and soon enough he started to live with them. And he started to eat with them and be with them and, and, and live among them in their huts and, and just be a part of their community. And not knowing... Uh, how to connect with them, but just wanting to serve them. And it said that 10 years later, another group, not knowing what had happened previously, went to that place and landed at that very same place on when they were going to now share the gospel. 
And as they landed in that place, these, these missionaries were so excited that they gathered and they made an outreach at that place where that man was living. And they started to do an outreach and they're saying, you know what, Jesus loves you and he, you know, he died on the cross for you and he wants to serve you and he, and he, and he's, he comes with such a big love and, and he died on the cross and resurrected on the third day for your sins so that you can go to heaven and talking about the love of God and the love of his son Christ. And now they got to the place where, do you want to accept Jesus into your heart now? And they asked, do you guys like to, would you guys like to receive Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior? And the native says, stop, wait. The translator was speaking, he says, stop, stop. That man that you're talking about, we want to take you to him because he lives here with us. <laughs> they thought that that man that had been living them for the last 10 years was Jesus. Because he had loved them not being able to speak their language. He had loved them not knowing their culture. He had become all things to all men so that by all means, he would be able to save some. Understand that we, can, we ought to love people and adapt to them so that they can hear and see the gospel in us and through us. It's not about the selfish life. It's not about what's convenient to us. I think today more than ever, we want a convenient Christianity. We want a convenient, oh, if it's convenient, then I'll go to church. If it's close to me, then I'll go to church. If we want a convenience. Christianity is not about convenience. Jesus said, he didn't say, you know what, when you guys want, maybe you should get a cross and, and make sure that your cross is not that heavy because if it's heavy, then it's going to hurt, you know. <laughs> and then if, it, if you get too tired about carrying your cross, just put it away for a while, then pick it up when it's convenient. He didn't say that. He said, anybody that wants to follow me, get your cross, carry it, deny yourself, and then follow me. And if you don't want to do that, then just don't follow me. Then just don't follow me. Because he was... Teaching us to live a life where we die to self. Where it's not about you. Now in verse 24, look what it says. He's going to give us now in the last four verses here, an illustration on how a boxer and how a fighter, a runner, how they train. Right? And he's going to talk about the discipline in running and the discipline in fighting. Some of you guys are already tired. We haven't talked about it yet. Right? Out of breath. But it says here now in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Don't you know that you're in a race right now, and those that are in a, running a race, they're all running in the race, but only one receives a prize. Now run in such way that you may obtain it. Verse 24. You see, you ought to run in this race like you want to win. Have you ever seen someone in a race? You can tell, you know what, they're in the race, but they don't even want to win. Right? They're not even here to win. You see, a championship mentality is that I'm training to win. I'm not training to lose. <laughs> I'm not training to, I'm training here to win. I'm in this race to win. Sometimes as Christians, we're in that race and we just want people to see that we're in the race. Look, at, did you see my number? I'm in the race. I'm here to participate in this race. <laughs> you see, he's saying, don't be in the race to participate. Run in the race to win. Run in the race to win. Don't just struggle along as a Christian. Don't just be there and, and be running like you mean it some days and be running like you don't mean it the other days. Run like you want to win the prize, like you're dedicated, like you're focused, like your energy, your sacrifice, your entire now mentality is given over to the race. How are you running today? Are you running to win? Are you running to save souls for Christ? Because nobody trains to lose. You don't go out to now the track field and saying, you know what? Is anybody here training so that you guys can lose on Friday night? 
That doesn't happen. They're training to win. <laughs> They're not training to be second place or third place. He's saying here, train here as if you want to win. And he refers it now to a competition. Because when it's a competition, now you exert your energy because you want to win. He's saying maximize every opportunity. Do not waste time. Use any advantage that you can when you train as possible to be in the best shape of your life so that you can win souls for Christ. You see, don't run to participate, run to obtain the prize. Run to cross that finish line as if you want to win, that you have the desire. The New Living Translation it says, do you not realize that in a race everyone runs? Don't just run, but also have a desire to win, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win, you're in a race. You've trained for this moment. You, you, when that official uh, fires off that gun, you're out of the blocks and you're focused. You're not thinking about who showed up to watch you race and who didn't show up to watch you race or, or perform or compete. You're there and you're fully focused. And you're saying, in this moment, I'm going to stay in my lane here and I don't care about anything else, but I'm thinking about here now all the training that I did so that I can win. What does an athlete's discipline look like? They have to eat right? They have to sleep right. They have to watch their form. They have to watch their technique. They have to be in the gym, right? And they have to focus because if you want to win, that's what you will do. You would say, you know what? Well, I, I want to win, but I don't want to read my Bible. I want to win, but I don't want to go to prayer. I want to win, but I don't think church is for me. No, look at the discipline here. If, what does it take to be a champion? Think of what separates those that win with those that don't win. Their discipline. You see, it's necessary to have a dedication regardless of the cost. And the championship mindset is required fully to faithfully complete this Christian life. We're in the spiritual training and we have to be in the best training available. We're reading a book called Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders with our servants and leaders. And I love what Sandal, Oswald Sanders says because he says, if a Christian, and I want you to please pay attention to this. If a Christian is not willing to rise up early and work late to expand greater effort and diligent study and faithful work, that person will not change a generation. Fatigue is the price of leadership and mediocrity is the result of never getting tired. Oh man, I want to I win. I just don't want to get tired. <laughs> then he goes on and he says, lazy and disorganized people never rise to true leadership. You know what Paul is talking about here? He's talking about discipline. He's talking about hard work. In verse 25, look what it says here. Everyone who competes... For the prize is temperate in all things. Everyone who completes is disciplined in all things. They have to be disciplined. And look what they're disciplined for. They're disciplined here now. He's saying the runner here. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. See, they're disciplined to obtain a crown, a crown right there in the, the Grecian and Corinth games as the Olympic games that we have. They got a feather crown, right? If they won that race. And they had to train for 10 months and show proof of 10 months of training and discipline and focus to be even able and qualify to compete. 
You think anybody can compete to the Olympics? What would happen if, if one of us just showed up and said, you know what, I'm ready here to do the decathlon for the next Olympics, and you show up with your shorts and your, your tennis shoes, and you're ready to go with your water bottle. They said, get out of here, man. <laughs> you didn't even qualify. You have to qualify to compete here. He's saying, look, they do all this discipline to obtain a perishable crown. He says here, but we for an unperishable crown. You see, if, if in other areas of our life we're willing to sacrifice, if in other areas of our life we're willing to wake up really early, if in other areas of our life we're willing to spend the money, other areas of our life we're willing to stay up really late for something that's going to perish. He's talking here between the perishable and the unperishable. Between the things that fade away and that are temporary and the things that are, are eternal. He's saying they do it for something that's only temporary. Think about uh, now a runner. He gets his gold medal. His gold medal is all good, but he has to train for the next one again. It, it's only temporary. But you're training for and you're running for something that no one can ever take away from you because you're going to get to heaven and you're going to make it. And the Lord's going to give you that crown, a reward, and a prize because you finished well. You don't want to just finish. You want to finish well. Have the eternal perspective. If they do that for a perishable crown, how much should we do for an unperishable crown? For an eternal crown? You see, for something that's the last thing. And, and if all of us win that prize, why is it that we are not using our energy and our strength to stretch forward now in this heavenly race and exert ourselves beating down our fleshly incarnations and strongholds of sin so that we can win? You see, do you think that a runner doesn't want to go and eat and splurge out sometimes? But he has to discipline his mind and say, absolutely, I will never go out and do that because I'm training now for a race. You think a boxer when he's training and he needs to make weight or a fighter. If he needs to make weight, he's going to have to step onto that scale. He disciplines himself and his fleshly inclinations to sleep well, to eat well so that he can make the weight. And if they do that for an unperishable crown... How much, uh, for a perishable crown, how much should we not do for something that no one can take away from us? If, we, if people, and if we, maybe you're saying, well, you know what, I don't, I don't do that. But maybe you do something else. Maybe you sacrifice in other areas. Are you willing to sacrifice that same way with that discipline, the athlete's discipline, that it affects your entire lifestyle? It's a, it's a lifestyle of discipline because you want to win. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, you know what he says? Do not lay up for your treasures. Jesus said here on earth, where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Do not lay up your treasures here on earth, on, but lay up your treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure today? Is your treasure... In the things of this world or in the things of eternity. We're saying if, if I do all of that for something that's temporary. How much more should I not run with discipline. This race in the faith for something that's eternal. You know it's interesting you hear you know. You know when boxers train and fighters and runners. And you know one of the things that have been, has been come out as of late. That is so strong this, this, this line that they yell out is, is hard work, dedication. Hard work, dedication. But what happens to that hard work and dedication when you retire? What happens to those titles? What happens to those, 
those belts, and I'm thinking about it. Why is it that someone could work hard and dedicate themselves that much for that? But what about for the Lord? You see, there is no retirement in Christianity. And sometimes we're living as Christians who are retired. <laughs> like, like we're okay that we're just trying to collect now the benefits of Christianity. There is no retirement in Christianity. You don't ever retire. You never arrive. Here Paul is saying, I'd rather choose the discipline of pain than the discipline of regret. I'd rather choose the cross today because I can get the crown tomorrow and that's in heaven. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to be dedicated, devoted, and disciplined in this race. That means that everything about me, when it comes to my walk, I take it seriously. I take it extremely seriously, Paul is saying. Do you take it seriously, that discipline? Where it's like, you know, I have to wake up early. Just like I wake up early to go to the gym, maybe I have to wake up early to pray and read my Bible. Just like I have to just stay out late for whatever reason, maybe to work to put the extra hours so I can get that promotion or whatever it is. And my boss tells me to stay after a couple minutes. I always do because I want to be right before my boss. How, what about when it comes to the things now of the Lord? Do I have the same mentality? Now in verse 26, he says here, Therefore, I run here thus, not with uncertainty. Those runners and those fighters, he's saying that f physically speaking, there's an uncertainty where you step into the ring. There is an uncertainty where you, where you step into those blocks when you're about to run. The uncertainty is that you might get knocked out or the uncertainty is that you might lose the race. But he's saying they run with uncertainty. I'm not doing it with uncertainty because I have the sure promise that I'm going to win as long as I finish well. I have the promise of heaven already. I don't have to be uncertain whether I'm going to win or not as long as I do this with discipline. And he's saying here, I run not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. You know what he's talking now about, now talking about a boxer now. He went from a runner to a boxer. I don't fight like one that's shadow boxing. I'm not just beating the air, never stepping into the ring. I'm now boxing to get that W, get that win. I'm boxing with purpose with aim, with accuracy, every single step that I'm taking, I'm doing it not just to beat the air, I'm doing it because I want to win. Think about how sometimes we as a church, we would come together as Christians. I just want to do the bare minimum to say that I'm a Christian. I want to do the bare minimum. I don't, I don't, if it costs discipline, then I don't want to do it. And we live a life of shadow box Christianity. We're just shadow boxing. You're beating the air. We're beating the air. Here saying, I'm not just shadow boxing. I am, I am now with purpose, with aim, with accuracy. I'm running and I'm fighting this competition because I want to win with the discipline, being exhausted with the same devotion. You know, Matthew Henry, a famous commentator and pastor said, shall not Christians be much more exact and vigorous when it comes to their sure crown, when they come to the end of their race? Should we not be more exact and vigorous when it comes to this? Why is he talking to about a competition here? Because competition requires discipline. John Maxwell in his book of leadership, he says, if you don't have a competitive advantage, then don't compete. <laughs> if you don't have a competitive advantage, just don't compete. You know what Paul is saying? My competitive advantages in this race is, is my discipline. It's my discipline to come to church. It's my discipline to get in the word of God. It's my discipline to say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ. 
I'm not fighting as, those, as one that is just beating the air. I'm striving against the enemies of my flesh. And I want to win the enemies of my flesh. That means that when my body says no, my spirit says yes, and my spirit wins. I'm not a slave to my body. He's going to tell us right now. I beat my body to do what I want my body to do. I don't do what my body wants. He's saying here, I am now a, a master of my body. My body is not a master of me. And it says here now in verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Isn't that what a runner and a fighter do? Isn't that the discipline that we need to do? I discipline my body and I bring it under control. My body doesn't control me. I control my body. That's what Paul's saying. In order to win people, I have to control my sinful inclinations. In order to reach people, I need to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And right here where he's saying, here I discipline my body, that word discipline, he's saying, I buff it. It's almost as if giving someone a black eye, he's saying. He's saying, I beat my body against the flesh, and I beat the flesh down. I beat the flesh down, I control my body because I'm not a slave to my body. My body is a slave to me. And like an athlete that is training here, he's saying, as the body is under control of the mind here, I do this with the purpose of evangelism, I discipline my body. It's like an athlete training behind the scenes. You see, this is so important for us. So that we don't become sluggish Christians. So that we don't become just average Christians, mediocre Christianity. Trying to live Christianity as a retired person. No, Alan Redcott said it best when he said, Faith that matters is faith that is expressed in the action of your body. He goes on and he says, faith that gets you into heaven is faith that gets into your feet. It's faith that gets into your mind. It's faith that gets into your hands and your tongue. In other words, it's expressed in the physical. It is how a Christian uses the body that proclaims his eternal destiny. How are you using your body today to proclaim your eternal destiny? Are you saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm just relaxing, I'm just, I'm just taking it easy. I'm going to do Christianity my way. No, he's saying, you know what, I'm, a win. I'm a f- in this race because I want to win. And he's saying here in verse 27 as we end, under subjection, lest when I have preached to others, you know why he puts his body under control? So that when he preaches to others, I may not, I myself should not become disqualified. That word disqualified is a very heavy word because it means I, I don't become rejected I don't become disapproved. I don't become worthless or on the shelf. That's what disqualified means. He's saying, I want to have every privilege to be used by God. And I don't want to undo with my life what I said with my mouth. I don't want to undo with my life what I said with my mouth. Ian Bounds said, preaching is not the performance of the hour but it's an outflow of the life. You see, our, our lives are not to be those that are not disciplined enough to be able to live a consistent message of what we speak about. I discipline my body, he's saying. I discipline it so that when I preach to others, I don't become disqualified. I don't want to be disqualified. You know, and, and when you're disqualified, I'm telling you, when you've been there and you've done that and you've been disqualified, you don't want to go back there again. 
And you know what he's talking about? Disqualification. He's saying, I don't want my life to be in sin. I don't want to live in sin, but preach something else. That's a disqualified life because it's ineffective. I don't want to, I, I beat my body down, he said, to its fleshly inclinations so that I want to preach. So when I preach to win others, they would know that the message is true and they see it through my life and they see it through my Christianity. I don't want no sloppy Christianity, no laziness, no sluggishness. We want integrity and we want character, here he's saying. Integrity and character. You see, Paul was consumed with the Great Commission. And he's saying, if I have to do the Great Commission, right, it's going to start with me and my life and the discipline in my life. The discipline in my life. Wake up early to read my word. Pray. Stay up. Pray and read my word. When it's time to go to church, show up to church on time because it's the discipline. It's the small things in life that allow you to go the far now places where God wants to use you. Now he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, as we close, he said, I have fought the fight at the end of his life. The same man says this. Talking about the fighting and talking about the running, he talks about it again. He has a way, Paul, of always talking about athletics. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who love His appearing. And it's not how you start the, the race, it's about how you finish the race. I have fought the fight, good fight, and I have finished the race. We're not just fighting for participation, we're not just showing up to church to say we attended. We're doing this because we want it to matter when it comes to our spiritual walk. Because we want to win. Because we want to win. Nobody trains to lose. And just like that, Christians should not live defeated. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord, that it just shows us what discipline looks like. And I pray that we would choose the pain of discipline over the pain of regret. So many times, Lord, we exert so much energy on external things that perish. But what about the imperishable things, the things that actually are more important? Are we willing to pay the same price and cost and sacrifice? When it benefits us, Lord, we think that it's okay to do it. But what about when it benefits the kingdom of God? Lord, we want to live with discipline. We want to live with discipline. We want to live like people, Lord, that... Take our walk seriously like an athlete training behind the scenes, a disciple carrying his cross. Where we live a lifestyle and where the way we walk, the way we talk, what we think, what we invest in, the things that we spend our energy and time and sacrifice, all those things are going to pay dividends for the kingdom of God. But I pray, Lord, that you would make us disciples that are disciplined, God. Because there is nothing such as an undisciplined disciple.